1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. There's a pretty cool prize happening right now on the KDUS 1060 app. It's simple. Download, register. That's it. That's all you have to do, and you are eligible for those hardwood tickets. It is Monday. It is November 13th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 p.m. today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Reaction to an Arizona Cardinals victory with the return of Kyler Murray and James Conner. Reaction to an ASU victory uh, at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. Reaction to U of A coming back on Colorado in Colorado. We'll dive into all of that locally, plus much more from around the NFL and college football will take your phone calls today 602-260-1060 around 11 30 and 12 15 but let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start first with the kdos1060.com poll question involving uh kyler murray and his return to the football field for 2023 was kyler murray's 2023 debut better than you anticipated yes continues to lead the way from the masses at 86 percent of the vote no trailing at 14 percent obviously in that final drive and we played the highlights of uh, his scramble for uh, you know 13 yards on third down and then the the pass play for 33 yards to trey mcbride during that last drive yeah he gives them a a quarterback that is at least nfl caliber and you know i know josh Dobbs has all his supporters down in, in minnesota they want to elect him the governor or mayor or combination thereof but he's not an NFL starting quarterback, I'm sure. I'm sorry about that, but I think that's actually going to be proven going ahead. And clearly the Clayton Toon thing is, you know, if you want to use him for a one-yard touchdown run, that's fine. But he, he's not an NFL quarterback, at least right now. Uh, so that gives them an NFL caliber player at the most important position. And uh, he definitely, uh, I thought, played much better. And I guess I'm going to answer the question now, but... Uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure how you can answer otherwise. Uh, you'd have to be even more of a, quote, hater than I am of Kyler Murray. I'm not a hater. I just haven't been that impressed with him over the years. But I actually thought yesterday was one of his best uh, you know, cumulative you know, games, quite frankly. He only made the one bad play, and that was a seemingly might have been a miscommunication between you know, him and, and receivers. I think there were a couple guys that were in the wrong spot in that particular play. Uh, so I'll stick up for Kyler there, but I think he did a I did a really good job, and the fact that they actually had designed runs for him, not just the scramble that I talked about, uh, I think that shows completely their confidence that he has recovered from the knee injury. 
We'll get into much more surrounding this game and the victory for the Cardinals 25-23 win over the Falcons momentarily. But first, let's get into the Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060. Are you satisfied with the level of play 10 weeks into the NFL season? The masses are on the no side of things at 55.6% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 44.4%. Yeah, actually, maybe not the best timing for this question after yesterday with so many uh, final quarter games, you know, games decided in the final quarter. But I kind of decided after, you know, you and I, Kayla, talking, and then I've talked to many other folks, uh, either friends or colleagues or whatever about the NFL over the last two or three weeks, I think that there was, uh, you know, some concern uh, about the level of play in the league and, it uh, definitely, I, th- I don't think there's my question, much question that it got, better, it got better yesterday. But, you know, for the season itself, you know, I thought that was, a, that was a question I pretty much knew on Friday that I was going to be throwing out there today for the Twitter poll question. And, uh, you know, like I said, not, maybe not the best timing for this question after yesterday, which was seemingly, and you know, I'll get to watch from start to finishing games on Sunday because we're at the Cardinals games and when they're at home. But uh, they seemed like it was a pretty good day of Sunday NFL football. We will answer that question officially around 1230. So plenty of time for you to cast your vote over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Another reminder here for you, 1130 and 1215, your phone call 602-260-1060 is the number. Our Friday spread, Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits weekend bet uh, was not a winner with the Bengals losing to the Texans. What a wild sequence that was in the fourth quarter. We'll dive into that game here a little bit later on, uh, but we're certainly looking Looking forward to getting back in the win column with more games to uncover on Friday. But first, welcome back, Kyler Murray, and welcome back to the win column for the Arizona Cardinals. It was a 25-23 win over the Falcons. You know, because we were all just so curious about Kyler and what this offensive scheme was going to look like and the comfort level of him being in uh, the shotgun versus under center. Plenty of questions to offensive coordinator Drew Petzing about it all week long. What was the first play? Well, it was Kyler in shotgun. The first three possessions, though, for the Cardinals were three and out. But the second drive of the game, it was 15 plays, 63 yards, seven minutes and 48 seconds off the clock, and it did result result in a field goal for a three nothing lead to get Kyler's 2023 season underway yeah you mentioned the shotgun thing I, I don't think there's least in my I don't have the numbers to back this up so maybe I'm speaking out of turn here but it sure seemed like that they changed the offense that we've seen for the you know first you know roughly two months of the season uh for Murray's return uh it seemed like there was a lot more shotgun he's obviously more much more comfortable in that situation there was some under center for sure, uh, but it was uh, I don't didn't remember that much shotgun unless they were chasing points, which you know, they've been doing in several games here recently. Uh, but you know, so it seemed it, to me it seemed like there was more of a Kyler Murray structured offense than what we had seen from the majority of the first few games. 
Uh, then the Cardinals got a touchdown there just before half to cut the lead to 14-12 to against the Falcons. Uh, they went for two early on there, and that two-point attempt failed. The Cardinals' defense, though, came out in the second half with the Falcons getting the ball to start the third quarter, and they forced back-to-back punts of the Falcons. A Cardinals interception, though, turnover deep in Falcons' territory, and the Cardinals' defense held them to a field goal, so that was certainly a win in that particular situation for the third quarter for the Cardinals defense. Yeah, you know, not to make this an Atlanta, you know, show here, but I have no idea what the hell Arthur Smith is doing offensively. Um, and they've got weapons. They don't seem to put him in the best position to, you know, succeed. And, you know, that is a coach's job or manager's job in baseball is to put your players in the best position to have success. And, you know, I'd watch some Atlanta this year. I got no clue what the hell they're doing. I mean, I must have written that down three or four times yesterday just with my little Atlanta side of my notebook here. You know, look, more question, you know, I just have like question mark, question mark, question mark than, you know, I, I'm confused what's going on there. But the Cardinals defense definitely made some plays. I was most impressed by, uh, you know, Ojalari, who I liked in college at LSU, and he's a legitimate pass rusher. And I think he needs to get on the field more. I'm not, you know, I'm not positive uh, how he is against the run, quite frankly. Maybe that's why he hasn't been on the field more often. But he should be playing ahead of Zayvon Collins and, and, you know, and Cameron Thomas, who we've seen enough of those two guys. They're not NFL starting players. They're special teams guys in the NFL. And the guy that really got my attention yesterday was Garrett Williams, uh, the cornerback from Syracuse who played the last couple of games. Uh, and he's no, he, he got drafted by Monty Austin Ford and was highly considered as a good cover corner in his Syracuse days before he got hurt. But what really stood out to me yesterday is that dude has no problem. You know, we've seen many cornerbacks in the NFL that have been great for many years that had no interest in stopping a running play. Uh, Williams stuck his nose in there on several running plays yesterday, and that guy stood out to me more than anybody on the defensive side yesterday. Uh, yeah, to that point, and all before Taylor Heineke left with a hamstring injury, the Cardinals' defense held his line to 8 of 15, 55 yards, and one touchdown. And B.J. Ojolari had a couple of really impressive uh, sacks there, and he just seemed to kind of be making plays all game long. Dennis Gardeck also had a third sack on the day for three total for the Cardinals. And B. John Robinson, he's, he's a dynamic player, so he's going to do what he's going to do. But uh, in all for him, 22 carries, 95 yards, one touchdown, and one catch for 11 yards. Uh, just back to the you know, two things. First up, uh, you know, Heineke should not be an NFL starting quarterback. Ritters, you know, who I'm not a big fan of, is far better than Heineke. Uh, you know, he, he made some throws yesterday that nobody in the building could catch. Uh, so it was just, where is this going? In fact, I couldn't even figure out a couple of times who was the intended receiver on that actual play. Uh, so, you know, those were you know, bad things for them. As far as, you know, Bijan, you know, why is he just running between the tackles all the time? I mean, you, that guy is, you know, in space is dynamic. We watched him a little bit when he was at South Point High School. I know it's high school, but still, we watched, watched him at Texas. We saw him make a few plays earlier this season doing the same thing in, in Atlanta, and it seemed like that they did not take the best advantage of uh, who I think is their most talented player on either side of the ball. 
And of course, then there were the heroics of Kyler late running probably 30, 40 yards on third and 10 to get 13 yards in the first down with two minutes to go in the game, throwing a ball up for Trey McBride, who made a heck of an adjustment to make the catch and set the Cardinals up with a 23-yard field goal attempt to win as time expired. The line for Kyler, 19 of 32, 249 yards, one interception, six carries, 33 yards, one touchdown. He was sacked twice. Uh, Of course, you also have to talk about James Conner and his effectiveness, and I think that that changed a lot uh, for this offense, having a player like him hitting holes, carrying guys uh, with him when he bruises through the the holes. Uh, highlights for him, 16 carries for 73 yards, and then he, of course, made uh, that good decision going down uh, so that they could milk the clock yeah. and win with the field goal. He's a professional football player as opposed to these guys that they've had coming and going and running back here for the last few games since he got hurt who are guys that should be practice squad guys or deep backups or, you know, basically, you know, practice squad. I mentioned practice squad or just, you know, special teams guys. Uh, You know, they've had guys in there running the ball that aren't NFL running backs. Uh, so there's that, but yeah, he's really good. Also, I mentioned this during the sports zone, but I'm going to mention this again. Their special teams were a huge difference in this game. That's something we talked about with D Orlando Ledbetter, who I got to talk to for a few minutes yesterday. D was here and, uh, from the Atlanta journal constitution. And, you know, there's, you know, not just, you know, Prater who obviously was great with 51 and 46 and 56 yard field goals before the, uh, what the 23 game, a 23 yard game winner there. Yeah. But Gillikin was really good and he's not been great in every game so far this year, but he had, you know, 52 yard and a 52 yard average on three punts. And he had the one punt that definitely flipped field position when it was very important at that time. Greg Dorch had the uh, return that helped set up a touchdown. So there's the Cardinals special teams yesterday, really for the first time this season, other than Prater, I think helped them win a game. Absolutely. Uh, That 50, what was it? 51 yard return by Greg Dorch uh, obviously was really important there for the Cardinals. And in that moment, and then a bit of history for Trey McBride, he became the first Cardinals tight end to catch over a hundred yards worth of passes since 1989. It was eight catches, 131 yards on nine targets. And then Trey McBride uh, told us how old we all are when he wasn't even born for at least 10 years. So there's that at least. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you're talking about you're talking about you making a you know, people making you feel old give me a break yeah well i wasn't I'll, even born in 1989 either but when he okay. said 10 years i was like oh boy yikes okay okay well yeah you're not old i'm ancient so <laughs> yeah there you go you know that's uh i was actually just leaving prescott for the you know to go live in las vegas and uh before the cardinals first season and awalt was uh they're tied in that you know the last time had the last tight end that had over 100 yards receiving and that was in 1989. Jonathan Gannon he met the media post game he talked about tempering expectations for Kyler all week long. Uh, he was asked now after you saw the game what do you think and Jonathan Gannon joked maybe that's why he laughed at me. 
honestly, I didn't have any expectation. Like I told you guys all week, I was just happy the guy was back because I know what he went through to get back to this point less than a year after a major injury and to play at the level he played today. And he just broke down the team and says, you know, I have to be better. There's a lot of meat on the bone from the offensive side, and that's what he'll continue to do, strive to get better and improve every day. I think the best thing that I heard from Gannon is he called uh, the performance dynamic by Kyler, and I think that's accurate. On the 13-yard scramble in the two-minute drill there, Gannon's perspective of it was, yeah, it was wild. I thought it was longer, but I think he gave so much ground it felt like he ran for 30. That was obviously a huge play, and they did it to us. Guys who can make plays with their legs, it's tough. It's tough, man, to have a guy like that back there be able to do that, extend plays. It's invaluable. Yeah, I thought he was in trouble. I thought he wasn't going to make it out of that. I mean, they seemed to have him cornered. And, uh, yeah, once he got past the, the first wave of, like, three guys, <laughs> yeah, it was – I wouldn't say it was clear sailing, but, uh, yeah, that was that was Murray at his best, which in his best was, you know, the start of the 2021 season when the Cardinals got off to that undefeated start through seven or eight games. You know, actually, Kyler Murray kind of thought that they uh, had that play secured up, too. He was asked post-game about the third and ten scramble, and he said, had to make my mind up. It may sound cliche or not possible, but for me, at the end of the day, if it comes down to me in my hands, I got to make something happen. I didn't see anything downfield. Honestly, I thought they had it pretty good contained, but God blessed me with the ability to do things like that, and that's kind of what happened. It's hard to argue that. More from head coach Jonathan Gannon. He was asked specifically about Trey McBride's big game. He said Trey lit it up, catch and run, made some huge plays. I think he went over 100. I don't know how many catches, but it was like a guy is breaking tackles. I juiced him the first one. I didn't like his ball security. He came off and knew it before I even told him, but had a huge day, and he's a really good player. I think this is really significant uh, for a lot of reasons. One, you know, Steve Kime maybe made a good pick before he got out of here, uh, one of his final picks. And, uh, you know, the uh, second-round selection of McBride is now looking pretty smart. Uh, we've talked about him with John McKechnie, our Roto-Wire uh, fantasy football guy, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, McBride yesterday, uh, eight uh, catches on nine targets then, you know, it's not like Kyler is, you know, he had some success with Zach Ertz a couple of years ago uh, and a little bit last year. But you know, it's not like he's uh, been great throwing the tight ends over the years. And part of the reason is because he's not a tall guy. And, you know, most of the tight end yards are between the, 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 uh, the numbers and so forth. So I think that, that was that's what that's what stood out to me about his immediate connection with McBride yesterday, even though. I know that there was some kind of communication or miscommunication with him and McBride, and there was another receiver. I have no idea why the other receiver was even in the kind of sort of in the area there, but whatever. That that that's going to just get better as you know they practice more and there's more games. Yeah, there's much more uh, takeaways from head coach Jonathan Gannon. We'll also get some takeaways from Murray and McBride, who met the media. So we'll do that on the other side of the break as we're continuing the conversation involving the Arizona Cardinals picking up a win in Kyler Murray's 2023 debut. It was 25-23 over the Atlanta Falcons. As a reminder, your phone calls around 1130 and 1215 today, 602-260-1060. But more Cardinals discussion is coming up next on this Monday, November 13th edition of The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060.
bring KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. 1126 right here on KDUS AM 1060 on this Monday, November 13th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 p.m. as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll get into more about the Arizona Cardinals victory, comments, takeaways from head coach Jonathan Gannon, Kyler Murray, as well as Trey McBride. But first we have breaking news, and I think that this warrants the little chime here. I'm seeing this in two different places. Craig Morgan of GoPHNX.com as well as Chris Cartman from Sun Devil Source. Both are reporting that uh, ASU Athletic Director Ray Anderson is resigning, stepping down from the program effective immediately. Well, I wonder if, I uh, hope he's okay. I don't know if being effective immediately. I wonder if there might be some kind of health issue there. So hopefully that's not the case. You know, certainly, I think that you know the the you know the NFL model uh, that you know, they presented or he presented when he hired uh, his former client Herm Edwards to be the head coach. That obviously didn't work out. You know, when uh, when Ray was an agent back in the day, uh, Herm was one of his guys, and uh, that was uh, the biggest reason, and to my knowledge, that that's how that you know how Herm ended up here as a head coach for a while. And then, yeah, I think the Bobby Hurley thing, there's been some really good moments. And then you kind of get to the point where you think ASU is going to take the next step in basketball. And they usually, unfortunately, have kind of taken a couple steps back when you think you're there at the point of, you know, making a, a consistent splash, out uh, of lack of a better term for me. Actually, now, second thought, I kind of like that term. So we'll stick with that. Uh, so I'm just going uh, to uh, so, it, if we, if it's performance wise, I'm not sure why it'd be now. So hopefully Ray's okay. Uh, one more thing from Craig Morgan here per source is what he says. I think he was deeply hurt by how things transpired the last couple of years with the lack of success. In the end, he's Sun Devil Athletics' biggest fan, and when things didn't work out the way he hoped and prayed, I think he took it to heart. Uh, and, you know, what instantly yeah. comes to mind, obviously what you pointed out there with the deep belief that they had in the pro model and how that really blew up in, in, uh, in I think, just blew up and then in addition to that never really knowing what could have been for that asu basketball team from the covid year in 2020 that's true even though you know that was kind of you know now that i look back on that it was kind of doomed for success for failure excuse me uh you know josh christopher didn't want to be here and he went to college for a year and uh it was just a, it was a mess i mean he was clearly um, I'm just going to say this, and I'm sure some some people won't like this. He's the most selfish athlete I've ever seen at ASU, and not just in my you know, since 2002 when I was here, but you know I watched ASU sports uh, when I was growing up in Tucson as a high school kid. I actually wanted to go to ASU because I watched their football team and they were fun. Uh, but the, he was the most selfish guy I've ever seen. And uh, I said that at the time, maybe not to this extent or hardcore, but uh, that he doomed that team. I mean, they, they, no matter what, he was going to drag him down. 
You know, I will say this part, though. I don't know if it irks you a little bit, but it irks me watching now the Raiders, uh, Antonio Pierce, interim head coach, and just his involvement here with what transpired with ASU and the consequences suffered for the the student-athletes, the players, the program as a whole. Uh, it, it just is kind of bothersome to watch that. Yeah, I think that that's very fair. I think that's accurate and fair. Uh, so that's a kind of a, you know, Double header there for you. Uh, one other thing I'll say about Ray Anderson, and you know, maybe Kayla, you can talk to this a little more than I, because uh, you know I basically I only follow basketball and, and football, and I don't follow baseball as much as I used to. But you know, it's you know, I've been told uh, that you know by people that are you know, you know follow ASU programs or the athletic department that he's done a that Anderson did a really good job of developing the so-called lesser low lower lower revenue sports uh and i know some of those teams have done much better on the field and academically than they had previously yeah i mean if you just look at uh basically taking their hockey program from being a club sport to now what it is i I think is a testament to just the commitment uh to wanting to have that type of program here at asu uh you look at both the men's and the women's golf teams uh there's their continued success that they have uh their first rate a facility that they have now uh, after getting out of Karsten and moving over to Papago and uh, the design and, and the investment from Phil Mickelson, the Thunderbirds, et cetera. That is an incredible facility for those those golfers to be able to continue to, to hone their skills. And then, you know, the investment that they make on the swimming side of things, bringing in Michael Phelps's yeah. coach, uh, Bob Bowman, uh, I think gymnastics, wrestling. I mean, you name it, those Olympic sports, those uh, non-revenue generating sports, as you mentioned, there is a lot to be very excited about with ASU athletics if you do get beyond football and, and men's basketball. But, you know, I'm part of the, the category of growing up playing a non-revenue generating sport. So I'm like, hey, look at us. But in the grand scheme of things, those sports, football and men's basketball, they have to be uh, up at the top to continue to, to clear your checks, to continue to move momentum forward to continue to, uh, you know, have the success where your overall programs want to go. I'll add one more thing. You know, we talked or you talked last week. I don't really have a whole lot of knowledge to back this up, but you know, you had some facts and figures that, you know, the University of Athletic Athletic Department there is, you know, having some financial issues. And to my knowledge, uh, ASU has bolstered a lot of things. You just mentioned some of them without the financial woes that uh, other schools, not just the U of A, have had since really the pandemic. You're right on that front. I think the the business model and being able to have kind of plots of land around Tempe has been very beneficial for them, and they've made wise yeah. choices uh, balancing balancing the budget. Yes, that seems to be the case for sure. <laughs> like, uh, let's see you know. Yeah, I've never heard. I've not heard anything otherwise. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that. The other thing that I'm kind of just interested to to think about here is um, overall, we we kind of always had the thought 
that the Pac-12 meant a lot to, uh, you know, President Crow, and he didn't want to see the dissolvement of the Pac-12, and it was final uh, efforts because they saw the writing on the wall to end up going to the Big 12. So now that move has been made, and it will be for for next year, uh, just to kind of have a clean slate moving into a new conference and to have that new uh new ideas, I guess, moving forward into what is going to be a new start in a new conference. Yeah, I think that's another excellent point by you, for sure. Um, you know, that's, uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's a whole new horizon here. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, you know President Crow was kind of in, a, I don't know, lone shepherd is probably the wrong term, but there weren't too many athletic directors or administrators in this conference that were gung-ho to keep it as is. And obviously, that's the you know, best described by the fact that, you know, after this year, at least as of right now, you know, Wazoo and Oregon State are the last two teams standing, last two schools standing. Yes. Well, I promise we'll get into some more Arizona Cardinals on the other side of the break. We'll also take your phone calls as well if you'd like to chime in on the breaking news that we have here, seeing it in two places from Craig Morgan of GoPHNX.com as well as Chris Cartman from Sun Devil Source about uh, Ray Anderson stepping down, resigning as ASU Athletic Director. We'll also dive into Week 10 of the NFL. Plenty to get to as we're with you up until 1 o'clock today. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join us on the other side of the break. Caddy Ray Adams takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. Ray here on this Monday, November 13th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We spent the last segment discussing the breaking news uh, first reported here by Craig Morgan of GoPHNX.com, as well as Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source about Ray Anderson stepping down effective immediately from his post as ASU athletic director. There is official comments here from Ray and an official release here from the university. Uh, So it says here that uh, he simply says it's the right time for the move. He plans to remain at ASU as a professor of practice and senior advisor to help expand the well-respected sports law and business program in the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. Uh, His official quote here, it has been a privilege to serve as ASU's athletic director for nearly a decade. We have entered an unprecedented era where the number and magnitude magnitude of changes in the college sports landscape are astounding. As I approach my seventh decade of life, these are not matters that my leadership would be able to corral during my tenure. Continuity of leadership will be needed, and I am choosing to step aside to let the university find that leader. Okay, that sounds fair. Also, you mentioned you know, Chris Carpman and also Craig Morgan. Yeah, I've known Craig for a really long time back uh, in the days that he was at the Tribune and covering the Cardinals and Flagstaff. We had some good times up there back in the day. 
and also I've known Chris Carpenter for several years. Both those guys do really good jobs. Absolutely. You know, I'm reading, maybe I'm reading too much behind behind what this statement means, but it almost, to me, is a little bit of fresh start going into a new conference, but also NIL and the expansion of that. And in order to compete, new ideas, uh, money needs to be generated, et cetera, that that's going to have a more area of emphasis. And maybe there was a disagreement of how best to go about that practice and yeah. so it was time to have someone else kind of lead that charge yeah that, that's an interesting point about the nil when you filed that much closer than i have i'm not sure how that's you know the fact that they're changing conferences and does that have an impact of future nil i mean it's a whole different landscape of, you know, if you're on the west coast playing you know, west you know kind of not officially on the west coast because there's you know some land between here and the pacific ocean i've last i saw but uh yeah i wonder if the landscape changes in more ways than just the actual geography because they're changing the big 12. yeah i'm very curious how that would potentially change if it does i don't don't know we could be making too much of it if you change your recruiting patterns Um, the type of, the type of player that you're going to be able to go after based upon, you know, if your if your parents are interested in watching and coming and and seeing any of the games and the contests, like, I don't know if any of that changes or if you're still going to be able to try to attack, or if this means that you can go after the Texas schools more, uh, because now you're going to be competing against that region more heavily. I don't know if that improves that sort of nature. So, uh, just, I, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, well, you mentioned the Texas schools. That's one thing I've thought forever, uh, whether it's the Pac-12 or now going to the Big 12, that ASU should have been doing more, at least as far as you know, football and basketball. Uh, you know, there's been a couple of coaches that have definitely emphasized that more than others, and I've gone through several coaches now over the years here. Uh, but you know, I've always thought that uh, recruiting Texas is just you – know, not a bad idea. I mean, if it's even the, quote, leftover guys from Texas, you know, that's better than a lot of guys in other states uh, and until recently, definitely Arizona, but Arizona high school football specifically has gotten much better in the last 15 years or so. You know, uh, let's just change things up a little bit since we're spending so much time talking about ASU athletics. Let's dive into the Saturday game for ASU football against UCLA. They went into the Rose Bowl and picked up a 17-7 to win. Colin Schlele was UCLA's uh, third-string quarterback. He started the game. He was uh, unable to finish, leaving with about, what, 2.30 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, ASU, though, it was just creative play after creative play. So you had Trent. Bourget getting the start. You also had Cam Scadabo with uh, three pass attempts. You had Jalen Conyers with two pass attempts. Uh, it results in a victory for ASU, and they're sitting at two and five now in conference play. Yeah, this was not a uh, you know masterpiece as far as uh, you know football fans go. I mean, ASU needed to ugly it up as much as possible, especially on offense, and they did. And I think that uh, they ran a lot of funky formations and did all kinds of crazy things. And that's, uh, I think that's the way that they had to succeed against UCLA's defensive front seven, which had seemed to have going into the game a massive physical advantage. I think the confusion factor limited them somewhat in defense. <laughs> Excuse me, which was a really, really good idea. 
and uh, ASU ended up winning the game. Their defense, you know, got the two goal line stands. I thought that that you know, gave them reason to believe that they could win the game at that point. And uh, what few UCLA fans were actually there at the game in the Rose Bowl, they were an angry bunch. Uh, they want uh, you know, Chip Kelly out and uh, listen to uh, the uh, the the, uh, the Audible podcast, which is you know Stuart Mandel, friend of the program, and Bruce Feldman. And one of their topics of discussion today was: Is Chip Kelly going to make it uh, through to the next season at UCLA's head coach? You know what I find interesting about that. <clears throat> conversation is I feel like it can't be just isolated to this game against ASU because you're starting your third string quarterback you're not coming into it with with everything that you possibly can offensively we've seen mass improvements to this UCLA defense uh, and we kind of talked about it like there you know this this defense is is far and away better than maybe we expected or certainly when you just kind of look at Pac-12 teams and their physicality at, at the defensive front position so it's just kind of interesting that um, the, the prevailing now narrative is, is that Chip Kelly should be fired. I, I can't imagine that it has to be isolated to this game, that maybe they're feeling uh, things have been uh, un, underachieved. Well, I think you say that their defense is underachieved. And a lot, you know, the defensive reputation that they had through September and some of October – yeah, they've had a couple of not so good games defensively here lately. They're just uh, when they were winning games early in the season, uh, they were basically winning them because the front seven just physically dominated the offense, the opponent's offense. Now let's flip this to the U of A. Uh, they came from behind to beat Colorado 34-31 in Colorado. U of A needed a 24-yard field goal as time expired to win. U of A <laughs> held the Buffaloes scoreless in the fourth quarter. There was a field goal attempt by the Buffaloes, but they missed the 44-yard attempt. Noah Fatita, 21 of 35, 214 yards, two touchdowns, and as a team, 27 carries, 207 yards on the ground. Yeah, that's why they won the game. Fafita was not good at all in the first half. In fact, yeah, they were terrible in the first half on pretty much both sides of the ball, but they only gave up one touchdown in the second half. ASU, excuse me, uh, the U of A is winning games because of their special their, excuse me, their special teams. Uh, their kicker is good, but the rest, the rest of their special teams not good. I'll get in that in a minute. But they're winning games because of their defense, and Hanson's done a tremendous job as a defensive coordinator. And he's actually, uh, you know, according to the Arizona Daily Star article that I referred to last week, he's really largely responsible for a lot of the defensive recruits that have come in. And they've got a really good defensive front seven. I think their secondary is highly suspect. I think we saw some of that on Saturday when Colorado excuse me, was able to complete some passing plays. But uh, we'll see what's up with that. The U of A, though, they were lucky to escape here. They did some of the dumbest things in football history which they seemingly do every week, and almost all that is on offense. And then on special teams on Sunday, it is really difficult to be offsides on a kickoff, and it's really difficult to have an illegal formation on defense when the opponent's kicking a field goal. Both of those things happened to the Juve on Saturday. They had their usual delay of game penalties, which you know I thought, well, maybe that's just a new quarterback and Fafita's not catching on to the system or whatever. But he's been there long enough. This crap is just happens every week. It's amazing. It's almost uh, you know they're they're winning with defense, and God bless them for that. And uh, yeah, they've got some skilled players on offense. He, 
If you, I'm going to stick to my thing here. Fish has done a tremendous job recruiting offensive players. Now he's got a defensive coordinator who's apparently recruited the defensive players. And the less that Fish actually has to do during a game itself, the better chance the U of A has to win that game. College football, Jimbo Fisher is out. So, too, is Zach Arnett, Mississippi State. We'll get into more around college football on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here. Brady, Brady Hoke at San Diego State, too. So, yeah. there's another one this morning. That's correct. Although, I, I guess he officially is retiring at season's end. Yeah, well, he's being retired. <laughs> uh, and that'll all be part of our college football conversation on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. Have you downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Food. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is mail, chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. point right here on kdos am 1060 it's monday it's november 13th as always follow along with us online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app be sure to download the app register that's the key component and you are entered to win hardwood tickets a pretty cool prize happening right now with the kdos 1060 app more from around college football changes at texas a&m jimbo fisher has been fired there there's been a couple of different numbers associated with it, but it's all been an incredibly high amount of money for his buyout. Uh, I've seen, you know, 77 million, 76 million, 75 million, uh, supposedly, though, around that range. And then you factor how, in. How about this? How about at least 75 billion? Let's go with that. Exactly. At least 75 <laughs> yeah, million. Yeah. But then it's going to be more, right? Because you have the rest of the staff and then you have whoever you're going to be bringing in. So this is going Correct. to cost AM upwards of $100 million to correct this situation they don't have any issues there for whatever reason uh they've never had problems raising money for hiring and firing coaches and unfortunately for them they've made some bad choices administration wise and most of those administrators if i'm not mistaken are not there anymore <laughs> so so it'll be a kind of you know the, the new the current athletic director did not hire jimbo fisher i know that for sure so some names that Pete Thamel of ESPN uh, tweeted out uh, shortly after the Jimbo Fisher uh, announcement had been made. Early list of names here include Lane Kiffin, Mike Elko, Mike Norvell, Dan Lanning, Jeff Trailer, Chris Kleeman, Cliff Kingsbury, and Kalen DeBoer. Well, I think the Norvell catch, catches my attention more than anything. Yeah, we he obviously was at ASU for a few years. He used to come on the Sports Zone occasionally back in the day. He's from Texas, uh, so you know I think he's done his the you know the best he can do at Florida State, and certainly get get paid more. Uh, so I don't know if he has an allegiance to the state of Texas, but he's from there. Uh, the thing though that's interesting about Norvell is because Jimbo Fisher came over from florida state so there are they willing to go down that road again yeah good point there dan campbell's the name that i first saw mentioned yesterday Uh, as soon as this happened in the morning it was reported that uh, they're moving on from jimbo 
And I know that, you know, going back to that Feldman and uh, Mandel podcast I listened this morning, they mentioned his name, even though you have Feldman, who's kind of the college football, one of the college football guru guys as far as, you know, jobs and, you know, and information and so forth. He didn't think it was likely, uh, but, you know, they did mention him. That's an interesting choice. Uh, I know that he's an he's a, he's an A and M alum and a proud A and M alum. I remember he even talked about that during Hard Knocks a couple of years ago. That came up somehow. It's just kind of interesting, right? Because now all of a sudden the Lions are like must see TV uh, with Dan Campbell at the helm here. So just kind of curious, uh, you know, with the trajectory that they're going, if he would really want to leave and go coach his alma mater. Uh, in the college ranks and then just kind of how challenging things are. I know that when we look ahead, it's going to be a 12 team expansion for the playoffs. But when you're looking at, uh, you know, some of these, these names that have been listed as well, you know, a path to get your team and your school through to be one of those 12 teams, uh, you know, is Texas A&M a program that can do that? Well, I think all they care about is they're in the same conference with Texas again, starting next year. They beat Texas, and everything else seems to be okay <laughs> back in the day. I don't know how much that's changed in the last few years, but uh, the fact that they're now in the same conference as uh, UT starting next year I think is going to play a major role as to what happens in the future at Texas a and uh, Mississippi State has also parted ways with Zach Arnett. Zach Arnett uh, yeah. made his name as the defensive coordinator. He was given the job after the, uh, un, you know, Un, uh, I guess uh, we didn't really know, unexpected, I should say, unexpected death of Mike Leach mm-hmm. and uh, Mississippi State just hasn't uh, performed up to expectations this year. A guy that was completely in over his head. And I mentioned as soon as he got the job last year, what are they thinking? And uh, yeah, basically they're really bad. I mean, they're really they're almost unwatchable some weeks. In fact, a lot of weeks. We'll get into more around college football. Michigan uh, didn't throw a pass in the second half. and they Seven went... minutes to go in the second quarter is the last time they threw a pass. <laughs> and they go on to beat Penn State. The numbers aren't very good for James Franklin as the head coach of Penn State when going up against Ohio State, Michigan, yeah. as well as AP top 20 or top 10 programs. It's not so great. Fire your, so fire your offensive coordinator, which is what they did on Sunday. And Franklin has press conference this morning, by the way, instead of Tuesday. So I'm not sure. I assume that's because they fired the offensive coordinator yesterday. So we'll get into that. We'll get into week 10 Sunday slate of action around the NFL and your phone calls today around 1215-602-260-1060. We have a lot to get into in hour number two of Extra Point. Looking forward to it on the other side of the break.